Last week, down in Memphis, Tennessee, the annual Freedom Fest event was held. This is the libertarian event that's held every year. And we were fortunate enough to host a phenomenal panel discussion at this event centered around the topic of the global war on farmers, as well as the push to get insect and synthetic meat to replace the protein in all of our diets. Now, the panel discussion was the result of a year-long documentary that we've been working on. It's called No Farmers, No Food. And for that documentary, we quite literally flew around the world in order to expose this globalist agenda that really has the potential to cripple all of our civil liberties. Now, there's a famous quote that says, whoever controls the food supply controls the people. And all warlords in history knew that fact. If you control the food, you're able to control the people. And unfortunately, what's happening today is that these green policies at the international level, whether it's the UN, the EU, the World Economic Forum, and so on, they're all being billed as necessary to save the planet. And these policies are actually now starting to go into effect around the world, including right here in America. And again, on paper, they sound great. They sound absolutely beautiful. Save the planet, end world hunger, gender equality. Who would want to disagree with that? But in practice, they undermine our food security and they represent a true existential threat to our liberties as free citizens. That's exactly what we exposed in the documentary, how this global war on food and farmers and the food chain will lead to the eventual subservience of all the common people by the few elites. But again, exposing all this is really challenging because on the surface, it always sounds so good. Hey, agriculture contributes 33% to global emissions. Let's cut down that significantly in order to save the planet. But what they always fail to mention is that even if agriculture contributes, let's say, 20 to 33% of global emissions, well, it also represents 100% of the food supply. But hey, perhaps if we get rid of that, then maybe we can save the planet in more ways than one. Without people, well, everything will return to nature. Furthermore, in the documentary, we exposed how, in order to make up for the loss of the protein that will inevitably come as a result of getting rid of the farmers and livestock, well, there's huge investment that's right now being funneled into both insect farming as well as synthetic meat production. I hope we're all ready to eat the bugs. And so I'll say this, exposing this agenda is difficult. The agenda is multifaceted, it's global in scale, and a ton of people believe the propaganda surrounding it because it preys on people's compassion. Who doesn't wanna be the good guy saving the planet? But the problem, of course, is that they're not saving the planet. They're essentially enacting the great leap forward. Like you had in China, well, this is the new great leap forward. And so while the World Economic Forum and all these myriad of globalist entities have an infinite amount of money to push forward their agenda, we here at the Epic Times are frankly exposing that agenda on a shoestring budget. And so if you would like to help back this project and help us with funding, not only to finish editing the documentary, but also make it such that once we publish it, once it gets released, it reaches and educates as many people as humanly possible well, that will be absolutely awesome. There will be a link down in the description box below and you can go to that link. You can sign up for updates. You can share this project with your friends, your family, and your acquaintances. And also you can donate some funding if you can so that we can share the truth about what's really happening behind the scenes with the entire world. Again, the link will be right there at the top of the description box below. And now, without further ado, here's the awesome panel discussion at Freedom Fest. Thank you so much for joining us. And a bit of housekeeping, I'll mention that we have everyone here in the audience, but we'll also have people watching over on Epic TV. We'll be premiering this, uh, this panel discussion next week. So everyone watching at home, hello. So to start with, I wanted to sort of give an idea of how this documentary came to be. 
About a year ago, I was uh, seeing these, well, if you remember, a year ago was when you already had the war between Ukraine and Russia, which was putting a lot of pressure on the food supply uh, throughout the world, the global food supply. And you have politicians, including Joe Biden, you had politicians in Germany, politicians in Africa, but that's, you know, they, they usually have problems there in South America, Asia, talking about the possibility of real food shortages coming on the horizon. And even though that was the messaging that was coming out, at the same time, you had protests in the Netherlands because farmers were saying that government policies were, were forcing them to shut down 40% of their farms. You had protests in Sri Lanka. You had the Canadian government come out with crazy nitrogen, well, I shouldn't say crazy, strict nitrogen emission standards. Same thing in Ireland, Germany, France, many, many countries. In, in the US, there's a lot of uh, similar issues as well. And so I went to my editor and I said, you know, I wanted to figure out what's going on here. Why is it that these governments around the world are pushing policies at a time when there's already big problems with the food supply globally? And so we did, and so we wound up traveling uh, the world and putting together this documentary, sort of exposing how these policies trickle down from the UN level, from the international level, down to the national and local levels, and hamstring farmers uh, in order to, quote unquote, save the planet, because supposedly agriculture pollutes the earth. But what they failed to account, like in that quote that we saw in the, in the trailer with John Kerry, that even though the, the estimate is, let's say, 20 to 33% of emissions come from the agriculture sector, but what they failed to mention is that 100% of the food comes from the agriculture sector. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you can, you could, by getting rid of agriculture, you could, you could, you know, save the planet in more ways than one, right? You can get rid of the people as well, and then everything can go back to being quote unquote natural. And so, and so that was, that's what we were able to figure out. But don't worry, because they do have a solution. If you get rid of the meat and all the food, there are insect farms and uh, synthetic food plants that are being uh, set up now and are being subsidized across the world. So I hope you are all looking forward, looking forward to that. No? Oh, oh, it sounds like someone is not ready to eat the bugs. So in the, in the panel discussion here, we have several of these subject matter experts that we were able to find in the making of this documentary. We have Mr. Alex Newman, who is the president of the Liberty Center, uh, Sentinel Media, and he actually has been subjecting himself over the past dozen or so years to travel around the world, join these summits, and go through the actual minutia of the policy documents they're putting out. So he's a brave man who's been dealing with that with Mr. Mark Morano, who's the author of The Great Reset, as well as Green Fraud. So he's, uh, he knows quite a bit about what's going on there. And lastly, we have Ms. Margaret Beifeld, who is the executive director of the American Stewards of Liberty. And she's an expert at exposing Agenda 30 by 30, which is the sort of local American version, not version, but it's a subsidiary of Agenda 2030 at the international level. So let me get off the stage and uh, introduce Alex Newman, who will sort of set the stage for us globally. Hey guys, great to be here, thank you so much. Um, you guys know Klaus Schwab, right? You must eat the bugs. <laughs> so, uh, I, I first noticed we had a problem in 2012. I was pretty fresh out of journalism school, and I used to live in South Africa, so I had a big interest in South Africa, and suddenly the president of the country, I'm gonna show you a video of him, and he starts singing about, we need to kill all the farmers. You think I'm kidding? I went to. So this was 2012, about 11 years ago. He's uh, singing in front of thousands of soldiers. Sizo batu bulang emba emba 
Shoot them, they're gonna run, shoot the farmer. There's a mistranslation uh, in the, uh, subtitles. Boar actually means farmer in Dutch and in Afrikaans. So we're gonna shoot the farmer, we're gonna, he's gonna run. Now, what, what kind of dumb idea is that? The farmers make the food that we all need to eat, right? Then I looked at Brazil. And I used to live in Brazil as well, so I had a big interest in what was going on in Brazil. Uh, federal police and military, sometimes in UN costumes, were dismantling entire agricultural villages. They were expropriating hundreds of thousands of hectares of the best agricultural land, and they said they were going to give it back to some Indian tribes that supposedly lived there a few hundred years ago. So I called up the chief of the Indian tribes, of the Zavanchi Indians, and I said, hey, what's going on? Are they going to give this land, and what are you guys going to do with it? He said, that's not our land. We've never lived there. We're Indians of the Floresta, the jungle, uh, not the Cejado, the kind of savanna area where this agriculture was. So that was weird. Two countries where they're going after the farmers. They, they were literally holding these farmers at gunpoint, having them dismantle their little shacks. Later that same year, Communist China announced that they're going to force hundreds of millions of farmers and peasants off their land into these pre-built mega cities that they had already constructed, these big apartment blocks. So you have Brazil, South Africa, China. Of course, we all know what's going on in the United States, right? The Bundy Ranch. And then somebody from the UN Food and Agriculture Organization sent me this report. This came out in 2013. Nobody ever reads these things. But he said, this is important. You have to read this. So I read it and ended up writing an article about it. It was published in May of 2016. UN, let them eat bugs. Kind of the Marie Antoinette. I don't know that she really said that. A lot of people say she didn't. But um, the report was about how they're going to make us eat bugs. How meat and chicken and traditional agriculture were not sustainable. And uh, the food of the future was going to have to be creepy crawlers. And they, they actually have a big section in the report about, you know, those Westerners, they're pretty picky with their food. They're not really going to want to eat bugs. We're going to have to have a major propaganda campaign. We'll use state-funded media and we'll use government indoctrination centers masquerading as schools to get them used to the idea of eating bugs. And so I reported all this uh, over 10 years ago. And uh, then along comes Joe Biden. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. It's going to be real, right? So, I mean, a lot of people think, I'm not going to eat bugs. That's crazy, right? And, and Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum in their little video, they said by 2030, you're going to have to eat a lot less meat to save the planet. So how are they going to get people to eat bugs? Well, a combination of propaganda, indoctrinating children, and making you very, very hungry. So uh, we've done a lot on this. I did a front page above the fold article for the uh, Epic Times. This appeared uh, about a year and a half, I think. UN World Economic Forum behind the global war on farmers. And uh, what you'll find as you look at these policies is every single one of the national and state and local policies traces directly back to various UN and World Economic Programs, World Economic Forum programs like Agenda 2030. Uh, Agenda 2030 was signed by every national government in the world in 2015 on behalf of the United States. Barack Obama called it an executive agreement. And um, it's a plan to totally transform every element of our lives. In fact, the head of the UN General Assembly at the time called it the master plan for humanity. And if you read the preface, it says over and over again, no one will be left behind. And so a big part of this, as you read it, and I, I tie all the points back to that, uh, is you got to transform agriculture, you got to transform the food supply, you got to transform every element of life. And so in keeping with that UN report on using uh, government propaganda, here's the World Economic Forum promoting uh, insect farming. As we speak, they're actually building the largest insect protein manufacturing facility in the world in Decatur, Illinois. So the 
World Economic Forum thinks you need to eat the bugs. And here is uh, the government-funded uh, propaganda outlet known as the PBS. The future of food is also being revolutionized by science as new research helps bring unexpected ingredients to the table. It kind of tastes like shrimp. They have this seafood quality to them. It reminds you of like a Frito or a chip. Yes, just a Frito or a chip, okay? So uh, <laughs> it's crazy talk, right? Uh, and so uh, this actually comes from my home state of Florida. Everybody thinks our government schools in Florida are great. They're not. But uh, this was sent to me by a, the parent of a concerned fifth grader. Uh, she was told that she had to do these workshops, and bugs are the food of the future. And she said, actually, in the class, they told the kids that eating meat is bad for the planet. Your parents are bad for wanting to eat steak all the time. They say, here's the, the list of how much CO2 emissions, right, crickets. You get 47, uh, 0.47 kilos of crickets per ounces of CO2, whatever. Uh, and you see that apparently bugs are really, really sustainable. Uh, the government knows quite a bit about eating bugs. Turns out it's very, very unhealthy. Uh, I pulled these right out of the National Library of Medicine uh, 2017 study funded by the government said that uh, the chitin in bugs, uh, the exoskeletons, will provoke human innate immunity to generate a deluge of inflammatory cytokines which injure organs and in persistent situations lead to death, multiple sclerosis, systemic lupus, and cancer. Sign me up, right? So um, the goal, folks, is not to save the planet. It's not to save the climate. Like the revolutionaries used to say back in the 60s, the students for a democratic society, the issue is never the issue. It's not about global warming. It's not about sustainable development. It's about enslaving humanity. They want to wipe out small, medium-sized producers, centralize food control in the hands of mega corporations in bed with the mega governments. They want to move the population into the mega cities and ultimately bring about this great reset in what they call the new world order. And I'm out of time, but I'll leave you with... Dr. Kissinger, our time, uh, our satellite time is running out. What wonderful opportunity to conclude our week here with such uh, concrete proposals and ideas of how we can really create, I would say, a new world order. A world order where everyone shall eat bugs. So, folks, and we'll talk more about this, I think, as we have time. Thank you so much, Mark, Alex. Um, you know, one thing uh, I, I'll just piggyback off of that and, and mention is that what what uh, what Alex mentioned here is what we discovered as well. Where you have at, at the international level, just like you know, Freedom Fest is an organ is a is an event for libertarians to come together and essentially to figure out a way to get the government off their backs, right? How, how do how do we live in a way that uh, where we can express ourselves and we can live freely while you know having the government do the government's role, but maximize the human independent potential? Well, the opposite meeting happens every year at, at the World Economic Forum, where it's the exact opposite, where instead of people saying, hey, how do we kind of be left alone, it's more like, well, how do we control, <laughs> how do we control the populations in order, in order to maximize what we believe is the best thing, uh, the best outcome for society? And the bugs aspect of it is, is quite interesting because um, what, what we saw was that, indeed, it might be the case that, let's say, 10 years from now, the, it'll be so subsidized that you won't necessarily be forced to eat the bugs, but society might change in a way that you go to the supermarket and on the store shelves, the price of meat is, let's say, $25 for a pound of hamburger patty versus $7 for a pound of cricket patty. And, and then it, there's no real option. That's, that's just how, how it'll be. That seems to be the direction we're going in. We're just like with the COVID vaccine, no one's going to force you to take it, but they'll create the conditions where you really don't have an option. Uh, next up is Mr. Mark Morano. He is the author of two, two phenomenal books, The Great Reset, as well as The Green Fraud.
Thank you. All right, we're here today talking about food, the great food reset. And I worked in the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee back in, it was 2007, the UN came out with their big agricultural report where they said that cow emissions were more harmful to the planet than all the trains, planes, and automobiles combined. And this was the beginning or the acceleration of going after the global food supply. And what happened in, that, in, in the interim time is there's all sorts of uh, people in Hollywood, people like, <clears throat> excuse me, Nicole Kidman pushing insect eating uh, with Vanity Fair actually like eating live insects, which I never understood where the animal rights people were with pushing that. We're seeing this madness spread everywhere now. Uh, in Ireland, they're gonna call 200,000 cows over three years to meet the net zero climate goals. Germany, this is their German newspaper, The Daily Bild, one sausage per month, according to the government's new proposal with the German Nutritional Society. This is real, it's happening, it's not theoretical, we're not talking about down the road. You saw the video clip John Kerry announced in, uh, earlier in June that we're now gonna be targeting American agriculture. What happens is these politicians, and yes, uh, even Republican politicians, sign on to these UN climate treaties and, the, and uh, UN climate reports. Not so much George W. Bush, uh, not Donald Trump, but certainly George H.W. Bush, but at these summits, and of course with Obama and Biden, they sign on to, I will limit, with, along with these other politicians, I'll limit the Earth's temperature to two degrees, and I'll limit up to 1.5 degrees, and we'll double down on net zero like modern witches arguing over how they're gonna fine tune the Earth's climate. Well, this grandstanding has real consequences because they then have net zero goals, a treaty that they sign, like the UN Paris Agreement, they go home. In the case of the Netherlands, where they wanted to eliminate up to almost 12,000 family-run small farms before the farmers fought back, a court ordered that they had to comply with these net zero commitments. And this is what's now happening both in our automotive industry and in our food and energy industry. We've committed ourselves and now we're forced to come out and start reorienting every aspect of society. This is the intentional collapse of food, agriculture, energy, and to boot our free speech so we can't complain about it. Uh, and this, so what's happening right now as we go forward, as the United States just approved lab-grown meat, the United States is approving insects, and we have John Kerry now expanding this. They're already decimating farming in Australia, in, uh, in Canada. We're seeing the results of it in, all throughout Europe, and we're seeing, we saw the results of it in Sri Lanka, where the World Economic Forum touted their big uh, non-modern organic, return to organic farming, and of course the whole country, the presidential palace was overrun. So this is our, there's an old Chinese proverb, when there are many, when there's food on the table, there are many problems, when there's no food, there's only one problem. And right now, we are facing a situation where they're creating intentional chaos and scarcity to force us to look, as they're saying, to buy insects, to buy uh, this lab-grown meat. And we even have elementary school kids in Europe, United States, Australia, they're giving kids these cricket-based snacks that are, look like potato chips, oil, seasoning, and they're told, and this is the exact quote, to go home and pester their parents that insects are good to eat. This is how they're doing a PSYOP both globally and they're aiming at the kids. They're giving kids, kids are more likely to eat a bug today than any adult. They're pushing this throughout public schools. So thank you, and we'll be talking more about this.
It's funny you mentioned kids are more likely to eat bugs. There was a kid in my elementary school who used to eat bugs. That, that was weird, but I guess now he'd be a role model that the teacher would tout. Um, so one thing we learned when we were uh, traveling for this documentary and uh, interviewing lawmakers uh, you know, in different countries and, and doing our research was that uh, in, in Europe and in Asia, these uh, policies are much more further along because in general, the, the governments there are set up so they're more kind of prone to joining international treaties and actually sort of giving away some of their sovereignty to these international bodies. However, the U.S. is probably the strongest in terms of not being affected by it because we have, our, of course, our strong constitution. But like every other institution in, uh, in this country, the, uh, the safeguards that are stopping this encroachment on U.S. agriculture are also getting eroded. And so along that line, I'd like to introduce Ms. Margaret Beifeld, the Executive Director of the American Stewards of Liberty, and she can speak about what's happening in the U.S. Thank you, Roman. So I was raised on a ranch in central Nevada, and this is a picture of my, myself and my dad when uh, we were on top of Table Mountain, which was one of the ranges we ran on. And I'm 10 years old there, and I have the honorary horse that, of course, wants to look back at the camera, right? Um, so this is where I was raised. I was raised in agriculture in America. But in 1991, my family filed the first federal land grazing takings case against the US federal government. This war on America's landowners, on the beef industry, on our farmers has been going on a long, long time. We were in court for 27 years. We won every round except the last one when we got before a, the DC circuit and the Eastern judges have no concept of federal lands issues in the West and they ruled against us on two technical issues. We lost everything. We no longer have this ranch. But this has been going on in America for a very, very long time. The Biden administration is upping the game. So what's happening in the Netherlands in particular, uh, one of the reasons that the farmers are protesting and all of these nitrogen emissions comes from this agreement that they signed on to called Natura 2000. And this is where they made all these commitments, which now leads them to have to reduce the nitrogen emissions. Natura 2000 is the precursor to what has been implemented in America by the Biden administration known as 30 by 30. So what is 30 by 30? 30 by 30 is an international agenda to permanently protect 30% of the world's land and ocean in its natural state. It means no use. These are lands that we don't use. We don't get to raise beef, mine, farm, drill for oil and gas. So Biden launched this six days after he, he was in office. And he said, he said when he did this that only, or his, his department said when he did this, that only 12% of the land in America today is considered permanently protected. So this is a map. This is what they're talking about. This is a map produced by the USGS, and it catalogs the level of protection on all the land in America. The green lands are owned by the federal government. People are sometimes surprised to realize the state that I was raised in, Nevada, 87% of Nevada is owned by the federal government. 50% of the West is owned by the, by the federal government already. What's in green, the government owns. The two darkest green colors are the 12%. So what they're after, those, those are our national parks, wilderness areas, private lands with conservation easements in perpetuity. Those are the big ones the national monuments, that's what makes up the 12%. So understand, when they talk about 30 by 30, they're not talking about ownership. 
because they own 40% of, the, of our nation already. They're talking about level of control. How restricted are those lands? And that's what they want to get our nation to 30%, from here to 30% by 2030. That's the goal. That's what the administration is focused on. I want to kind of take you through a little tour of how they're doing this. So uh, do you remember last year when Congress passed the Inflation Reduction Act? All right. So in tandem with that, almost immediately, the environmental community pushed out this new agenda called Rewilding the American West. And this is kind of a map of what it looks like. They want to create two corridors from Canada to Me Mexico that are contiguous wildlife corridors for the wolf and the beaver. One takes the land, the other takes the water. And what they don't already own, they plan to acquire through federal land acquisitions of the private property or conservation easements in perpetuity. Uh, one of the reasons that this is really important to note is because not only is it pushed by the environmental community, it was picked up and pushed by outside mag magazine, in other words, court the, the recreational interests. You know, they really try to, the environmentalists try to court uh, the uninformed public to really buy into the environmental agenda without understanding what's really taking place. Also, the World Economic Forum published this, so you know it's internationally backed. In California, Governor Newsom was the first governor in, in our nation to implement 30 by 30 at the state level. And in 20, at the end of 2022, they had succeeded in adding 624,000 more acres into the program. They're at 24%. In Wyoming, the, the federal government, the Bureau of Land Management, made the largest federal acquisition of land in the state of Wyoming of 35,000 acres. They did it without the county commissioners or the governor even knowing they were going to do it. This is the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, which they expanded to 1.8 million acres. We're on the ground there helping them right now, uh, fighting the administration's effort to completely lock out cattle. This is the Lincoln National Forest in New Mexico, where they are proposing to add 54 wilderness study areas to the area, which is a way of circumventing Congress. Congress can designate wilderness. This is the way to circumvent that so that they in de facto create wilderness, in other words, push the people off the land without having to get the vote from the public or the representatives. This is the carbon sequestration pipeline. Have you guys, any of you guys been following this? In the breadbasket? All right. So, uh, Summit Carbon Solutions right now is condemning property in South Dakota and they don't even have a permit yet to build the land, to build the, to build the pipeline from South Dakota. And Governor Kristi Noem is the one who signed the bill that allowed them to do that. And she's been silent on this issue as she has taken the money for, from Summit Carbon Solutions. And let me just give you one more and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop down. This is Vermont, state of Vermont. Uh, not this last session, the session before. The House and the Senate passed a bill not to get to 30 by 30, but to get to 50 by 50. They are pushing the half earth philosophy. Thankfully, there was a Republican governor who was just elected and he vetoed that bill. But this is Bernie Sanders state, so it shouldn't be too big of a shock that this is what, what they are pushing. 30 by 30 is real and it's here. And it's about the food 
It's about the farmers, but importantly, it's about our land. They know if they can get our land, they can get our liberty. And that's what it's all about. And just, just packing on with what Alex said, the issue is never the issue. And one thing that my dad told me very, very early on as we were fighting the environmental movement is the issue is not whether we're going to use the resources, the issue is who is going to use the resources. Thank you so much, Margaret. Yeah, dur during our uh, travels, we spoke to quite a few farmers who are living in these areas, and they're essentially getting handcuffed by all these different regulations. Um, which is, when, when, I, when I had a chance to actually sit down with Margaret for the documentary, I, I wanted to, to tra for her to trace out for me how these international uh, agendas get implemented at the local level. And I was hoping for like, you know, well, is there, is there like a little treaty? But there's not. It's not, it's not, it's not like, a, you know, it's written somewhere like, oh, hey, yeah, this is the, this is the U U.S. version of the, you know, international agenda. Instead, it's just a million different small regulations which just handcuff people uh, and slowly constrict them over decades. So now we have the panel discussion and the Q&A portion. So as, you're wa as you were watching this, uh, these presentations, if you have come up with any questions, now is the time to ask. Please just uh, raise your hand. Somebody will bring a mic to you. Won't be able to hear you. Questions uh, in regards to bugs. How do we know, you mentioned something about the exoskeleton has been proven to be bad for us. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the health risks associated with that? Well, uh, Alex mentioned it. I'll, I'll, uh, you can come up in a sec, but I'll just mention it as well. Um, I think, like, like anything else, there's sort of, it's, it's a growing body of research, right? So the, let's say vegans, for instance, or vegetarians, they'll cite many studies regarding how meat isn't healthy for you. Right, and they'll, they'll talk about this aspect of me, that aspect of me, mad cow disease, et cetera, like those type of things. But as you know, if you eat meat, then you, you understand that, like, well, that's a small risk, and I'm fine with it. So I think in terms of the health aspects of it, uh, it, it might be bad, it might not be. It's, it's a growing body of research, so it's not it's not like definitively one way or the other. Um, but uh, if, uh, proven yet, it's it's not definitively one way or the other proven yet. And, and also, if you want right now, you can go to Whole Foods and you can buy cricket powder. You can buy cricket chips. Like, it's, a, it's an already available product. I think the, the bigger thing to expose here is this agenda to get, away, to get farmers off the land and to replace the protein source with the bugs for people who don't want it. Like, if you want to go to Whole Foods right now, you can buy cricket. It, it's, we're in an open capitalist economy. If you want it, you can get it. But, it. but there's a push to actually make that the mainstream protein source, and that's what we're exposing. Uh, whether it's unhealthy or not, it's, I'm not sure yet, um, you know, the proponents of bugs say it's the most healthy thing. Opponents of bugs say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a room to be skeptical. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Alex? Check. There we go. Yeah. So, so there's a number of studies that I found in the National Library of Medicine, and obviously every bug uh, is a little bit different. Some have more chitin in the exoskeleton than others, uh, but there have been quite a few studies that have shown really significant negative health effects. And also, uh, you know, I, I don't believe the nutritional level from what comes from bugs is equal to what comes from meat and things like that. Uh, and what we're seeing is the same thing with these artificial synthetic meats that they're producing. Uh, the taste is not the same, so they're having to fill it with nasty chemicals to make it taste properly. They're having to fill with chemicals to make it have a proper texture. Uh, so I'm very concerned about the health effects. And if you know anything about like the U.S. government's food pyramid, for example, uh, you know, the, the health advice that the government has been giving us for decades, I believe, is almost entirely responsible for the health crisis that we have in this country right now, the obesity crisis, right, subsidizing corn so that everything's made with high fructose corn syrup. I mean, the, the, 
government's advice on health has been so bad so consistently that even just by default, even without having looked at the research papers that I've seen already, if the government's telling me I should eat bugs, my position is going to be no thanks. <laughs> just on nutrition. Um, when even the CNN nutritionist, when you're talking about like the vegetable oil processed burgers, which they're trying to push, said this makes no nutritional sense. It's like all these, I think it was like 17 different vegetable oils in quotes. Uh, and they said that you're much better off eating a lean, uh, you know, hamburger or salmon burger for nutritional value. These, what they're pushing on us is the most processed food you can imagine, whether it's even in the insect powder. As I said, they're giving the kids, it's all processed. They're giving you this lab-grown meat, which is the ultimate of processed food. And these are coming from the same people who are like, oh, organic is the only way. We don't want processed food. But somehow they're willing to accept it. And they are because they think that with every insect you consume, the earth is smiling at you. And that's what it is. We have the, Greta Thunberg's key advisor is... Um, uh, the UK environmentalist George Monbiot, and he actually says we need to get rid of all animal agriculture. There's a whole movement to just end it, and that's what Bill Gates is pushing. They want us to eat food from a laboratory. You don't need farmers if it's in a lab. Thank you. It came back. Oh, great. And it has to do with the land acquisitions. It sounds like this is much deeper than executive order by the president. Could you direct us into how it, through what governmental action it's actually happening? Yeah, just in case you didn't hear, uh, the question is, how are these land acquisitions actually taking place? Because it seems like it's beyond an executive order. Margaret? Um, so the, the president enacted this by executive order. And you picked up exactly on what, what is the key problem. There is no constitutional authority for this, and there is no congressional act for it. So he's doing everything through government fiat. But what he has is he has the administrative agencies. And what he's done is he's taken the authority of the, agen the agencies and just redirected them towards this goal. So whereas the Bureau of Land Management is supposed to manage the federal lands for the multiple purposes, meaning it's to be grazed, mined, timber, logged, uh, he's now told them, and they've just issued rules in order to replace that with strictly conservation. So it's all being done administratively and without authorization. So there isn't, that's why, you know, there's no law that you can, you can strike down because he's not doing it under the law. But he's just using every tool he has to get around it, to get this implemented, just redirecting everything he has. So it could be reversed politically. Well, um, yeah, it can be. The main thing right now and the thing that we're focused on that you guys can help with and Congress is focused on is defunding all these things. So everything that they, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and we've actually been helping them write policy language um, that'll help defund these things. That's, I think, what we need to do right now. That's the power that Congress has is they can defund. And so that's, right now, that's how we can stop it until we can get the political power to reverse these things. Yeah, and, and I would build on that uh, domestically. Uh, again, back to the issue is never the issue. They're using every kind of pretext you can possibly imagine to seize massive amounts of land, whether it's the Endangered Species Act. Oh, there might be an owl on your property somewhere. Or it's the uh, carbon capture. we got to get CO2 under, so we got to build these huge pipelines, so we have to take thousands and thousands of the best acres of farmland out of production. Uh, but the same things are happening all over the world, and that, that's one of the things I wanted to emphasize in my brief little introduction. Uh, they are taking massive amounts of land every 
everywhere in the world, and they're using different pretexts. In Brazil, they were saying they were going to give the land back to the Indians. In South Africa, they were doing expropriation without compensation. They want to add it into the Constitution now under the guise of racial justice. Um, in the United States, it has to do with environment, climate, uh, endangered species, things like that. In China, they don't even need an excuse. Just get off the land or we're going to shoot you. Right? Um, and, and so the same thing is happening all over the world using different pretexts, but I think the objective is always the same. Like she said, remove people off of the land so that you can remove their freedom so you can bring them under control. And just one thing to add on that, using the Netherlands, all these regulations, the climate compliance regulations, all go after the small, medium, uh, family-run, generational, small business farms. And once you replace it with the big corporate entities, you get you can have corporate government collusion that will go along with this agenda. In the case of uh, reducing high, there's a war on high agricultural yields, going after nitrous oxide, etc. It's the same way COVID lockdowns affected the small businesses, and you know, meanwhile the corporate chains could survive. They want the crushing of small business because that's how you're going to fight back. The, the small independent. Corporate and government are colluding in one voice on all of this, and we're seeing it with the cars, by the way, too. They're, um, the World Bank isn't going to fund cars. Corporate banks aren't going to give out car loans. You have uh, all of this is done without a vote. The most consequential decisions, whether we can eat meat, high yield agriculture, buy a gas powered car, is all being decided between corporate, government, executive, bypassing democracy like a COVID lockdown. We didn't vote for mask mandates or vac vaccine mandates or lockdowns. Thank you. Uh, and just I'll add one, one small uh, caveat to that, not caveat, but in addition, you know, if, if let's say you own a ranch or a large plot of land in the Midwest and the government comes in and says, well, you know, for X, Y, Z reason, we're going to take ownership of this land or we're going to take your water rights away. You look into it and you're like, well, you actually kind of don't have the authority to do it. This was some fiat by the executive branch. Like, you know, you, you can't do this. Well, good luck. You're yelling into the wind. You know, like, look what happened to Margaret. 27 year long legal battle. Like, who, who, who has the resources or the time to, to deal with something like that? So that's, that's I guess, another way that they could wear you down. Uh, any other questions? Re regarding the land that Bill Gates has uh, acquired, has he changed the operations on that land? Has he changed whatever crop was being grown to another? If it was animals, did he change? it to crops. Has he actually changed what was going on on the land? Or is he just holding it as an investment? Yeah, he claims it's just an investment. This has just happened. I think it was uh, la late, early last year. Uh, so he's just become this farmland owner. And then he announces that he wants to you know, basically transform all of agriculture. Hard to say yet, but you saw what NBC News is reporting, the actual farmers, in many cases, the farmers can stay on the land, almost like a surf. They used to own it, they went into bankruptcy, Bill Gates' uh, investment firm buys it up, and right now there's no, been a major shift in that, but it's all happening politically. John Kerry, I mean, we're talking, this is as we're speaking. John Kerry just a month ago announced that U.S. agriculture is now going to come under the same net zero crosshairs that Europe and Australia and Canada have been. We know where it's going. It's hard to say it's happened yet. You can't point on the ground yet, but these are all farmers becoming uh, renters. I'm just going to add one thing to that, and that is that some of the, most of the farmland that he's, uh, he has purchased is prime farmland for the ingredients needed for the fake burgers. So that's part of it, too. Anyone else? Oh, please. Has anybody done a study on the effects of the environment on pro the, all these processed foods from the kinds of oils they use to the lab work? What, what kind of an effect on the environment does that have compared to cows? Mm -hmm. well, just real quick, there was 
study at a new scientist, which I showed, 25 times more environmental impact from the lab-grown meat than traditional agriculture. So there's, that's new scientists reporting that, which is you know, a left-wing scientific publication. So there's that. And then there's actually been studies, I believe, by Carnegie Mellon years ago showing that even organic agriculture it can be actually less earth friendly than regular because it requires more land, it affects more species, it affects more uh, woodlands and everything else. You have to clear more land to get the same crop yield. But of course, they're not really interested in the crop yields anymore. They want to collapse that. They want to move all, form, uh, all food production into laboratories and in you know, very tight little uh, industrial farming activity like in, indoors. But it's a PR matter. In other words, what do people believe and what do they yes. know? Okay. Yeah, yeah just, just to add to that, from what we were able to find in our research, well, first of all, it's a, it's a very new field, right? So, so the studies haven't really caught up to it yet because it's, it's only now getting uh, approved and widely, well, wider used. But it, it seems to me like it's, um, it's sort of like the electric vehicles, right? It sounds great. It sounds like a perfect solution. And, and politically, it, it's a very beautiful looking, you know, box that you can put up there and say, hey, we're going to eliminate all uh, internal combustion engines by this year and we're going to have only EVs. But then if you dig into it, it's like, well, where's the electricity coming from? Wh where are the batteries going once they need to be replaced? Uh, how's the mining operations for these vehicles compared to uh, other cars, et cetera? When you go down that, that rabbit hole, the picture really changes, and it might be better or it might be worse, right? So, so it seems like it's a similar situation for the synthetic meat. Like on the surface, it's like, oh, hey, you don't need all this land. You can just print these cells, blah, blah, blah. But when you go down the production chain, it might actually be worse, significantly worse or similar, right? But at the moment, it seems like it's worse, according to the research I've seen. We have time for one more question. Can I build on that just real quick before we go to the next one? Uh, and so, and, and a lot of this environmental question depends on, I think, a very flawed fundamental presupposition. It depends on the idea that carbon dioxide is pollution. And I would argue, after interviewing hundreds of scientists, including many who've worked for the UN IPCC, many of the leading scientists in the world, that the notion that CO2 is pollution is absolutely preposterous. We exhale about two pounds of it every single day. Uh, the, the proportion of greenhouse gases made up of human CO2 emissions is a fraction of a fraction of one percent. The idea that that is going to destroy the planet or change the temperature of the earth uh, is frankly, in my opinion, totally ludicrous. But from a totalitarian perspective, if you can convince people that CO2 is pollution, there's no human activity that doesn't result in CO2 emissions, including living, including dying, turning on a light switch. Every single aspect of your life then, if we submit to the idea that CO2 is pollution, then comes under the regulatory control of the people who claim to be saving us from pollution. So when they do these environmental studies and they say, well, your CO2 footprint will be smaller if you eat bugs or you do this, that, or the other, you drive an electric car, um, that doesn't show anything about whether that's going to benefit the environment or not. In fact, CO2 has actually been very beneficial for the environment. Uh, in interviewing uh, Trump's climate advisor, Dr. William Happer, a physics professor at Princeton University, he said the Earth is starving for more CO2. And since we've had a little bit of an increase in atmospheric CO2 over the last hundred years or so, plants have gotten much greener, agricultural yields have improved. So I, I think we need to also talk about the fundamental presupposition here. Is CO2 really pollution? If it's not, then all these alleged environmental benefits are completely fictional. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, we actually, uh, we have a limited amount of time, but uh, you can speak uh, to directly to the panelists afterwards. Just um, what organizations nationally or internationally have been formulated to directly deal with the farm issue? Uh, a, a pro or against? 
like dealing with the farm issue in what sense, like fighting back against these policies? Fight, yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are a number, including, uh, including Margaret's organization here, the, um, the American Stewards of Liberty. But uh, later, if you, if you want to come up and speak to the panelists, you can. So unfortunately, we only, have, we only have an hour here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. If you have any questions for the panelists, we will be uh, either here or right outside. Uh, otherwise, thank you for joining. Thank you, everyone, for watching.